0: You know, I went around and I looked for a space. And luckily, I got in touch with one of my seniors. He wanted to live abroad. And then he was trying to sell off his furniture. So I said, you know, I cannot pay you directly, but I know how to develop a website. Since you're traveling outside, I will develop some travel agent website for you so that when you are working outside, you can still, you know, try to market your tour agency in that particular country. And that's how we agreed. So he gave me around eight tables and 12 chairs. So that's how we started. Now I needed someone to use my space. And then from that five friend, two of them were jobless. So what I did was I requested two of them, you know, giving them another scenario of starting your own business and being your own boss. And, you know, somehow I was able to convince them.
1: Hello everyone, my name is Dean Long and welcome to the podcast Lifeline. In this podcast, I will interview people who are having a positive impact in their community and have a strong message that deserves to be shared. We will dive deeper into their journey becoming a change maker, and hopefully you can take away some insights for your own journey. And please do subscribe to Lifeline on YouTube, Apple Podcasts or any platform that you are using. And also you can share this episode with your friends if you like it. It's really what helps me the most. In today's episode, you will be meeting Tashi, who is empowering the first wave of social entrepreneurs in Bhutan. He founded iHub, the first private co-working space and pre-incubation program in the country, learning how to run a business at the same time as the entrepreneurs he was supporting. We discuss about why he quit a comfortable job in Singapore to restart everything in Bhutan, his crazy journey finding and supporting the first entrepreneurs of iHub, and his life-changing meeting with His Majesty, the King of Bhutan. You will love Tashi's drive to boost the entrepreneurship ecosystem and create an entrepreneurial culture in Bhutan, his candid respect for the leaders of his country, and his outstanding skill to get things done. Enjoy this episode and see you in one hour and 30 minutes. Hello Tashi, Uh, welcome to Lifeline Podcast. So happy to have you today Tashi, uh, so many people spoke about you uh, from my friends, whether it's my colleagues, uh, whether it's my friends, whether it's other social entrepreneurs, I think you are quite famous in Bhutan from what I understood, <laughs> whether it's for your futsal skills or your social entrepreneurship skills. Um, yeah, no, I think you, you, I mean you are the first guest from Bhutan in this podcast. So I'm really excited because I, I myself don't know much uh, about Bhutan. I mean Namgyal tried to explain to me a lot about Bhutan, but I think there's still so much I can discover. And yeah, I'm really curious about your life. I've been trying to read all your interviews online uh i've seen that you met with the king of bhutan so we will speak about it during the interview but i guess that for bhutanese it must be a really big achievement um but yeah, no, i i spoke already a lot so maybe yeah would you like to introduce yourself where you come from and what do you currently do
0: uh firstly thank you so much uh it is really a privilege to be part of your podcast and to you know share our experience so that we can reach out to many more other social aspiring entrepreneurs. So, And I hope my friends, they talked good things about me. I, I don't know what they said, so I only hope- good they- things,
1: only good things.
0: <laughs> and yeah, uh, I am Tashi and we I run a in- pre-incubation and a co-working space in Thimphu. So I call myself a accidental entrepreneur or an accidental incubator because when I started, I didn't really have much knowledge on what what and how a business is supposed to operate. So we by somehow I felt that there was a need of a support service in the community. So that's how we just started our incubation center. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting that you call yourself accidental entrepreneur. I think it's uh I, I thought actually uh so to to because I read in one of your interviews um, that you always wanted a nine to five job uh, when you were younger Mm -hmm. and you didn't want to start your own business or your own project. Um, But you happen to start your own project about something you don't know. So I guess it's even more difficult than just starting your own project. So could you share a bit like how, Was a transition between like you wanted a nine to five job and now you you decided to launch your own business.
0: So the fun fact here in our culture is we don't really uh, think business or uh, entrepreneurship as a career option. So what happened was from my pre-primary education till my (coughs) till my graduation, I always had you know uh, I always thought I will do something by like basically working nine to five but uh when i joined when i had my first job in 2013 right after my graduation what i found out was i was not really meant for nine to five you know i was there in the office physically but i used to you know think of something else and i always uh since i did i i studied it i always used to do some freelancing work online and And I really had limited time, you know, focusing on my office job, my permanent job. So what I was doing was I was basically trying to, you know, develop some website and some app for some of my clients. So nine to five was never my uh, thing. And then in 2016, I had my first time opportunity to travel to Singapore where they gave me an and a job offer where my, I was supposed to develop website and a host event for them. So during my stay in Singapore, I found out this concept of uh, incubation, especially from some university. University, they had this particular room where students go over there and then they take help from mentors, especially I think they were the professor. So they were taking some uh, mentorship from the professors and they were developing some prototype. That's where I realized, you know, this was something that was missing in Bhutan. So I immediately I requested my uh, employer to, you know, I I wanted to quit my job and then I requested them to, you know, cancel my uh, contract so that I can go back and start business and I can, you know, I, I thought I can easily make money by, you know, creating such space. But then... But then when I got here, got back to Bhutan, there, there was two difficulties. One was the cultural mindset that my parents, they didn't really want me to, you know, leave a comfortable job which was paying me good and <clears throat> which was, you know, which in fact had, you know, supported, which in fact will support me comfortably and without having much to worry. Like when you start business, it is very uncertain and and then it is very risky also. So my family, they were a bit of uh bit of risk averse and they said, you know, uh, I don't have to start business. Why don't I look for job again in Bhutan? So that was my first uh, thing when I started off. And the second one was the policy. I think it is the bureaucrat system that which they mostly, uh, since the co-working space and incubation was quite new thing, so it was difficult for the government to understand where to put me in which category to put me in when I apply for license. So, and then from that uh, onward, I realized, you know, if I face such problem starting a business just to obtain a license, if it takes around six months, and what about people who have just graduated and people who don't know much about policies, you know, what, what, what and how they will do it. So that's where I thought, you know, I will not directly start incubation i will go for pre-incubation and co-working space so that's how we started
1: okay now i think it's it's interesting because you while you know implementing your own company you Mm -hmm. learn what were the challenges of setting up in bhutan so you you realize how you could help other bhutanese entrepreneurs so i i find it interesting um but then I, i so i Let's come back a bit into the past. Uh, so yeah, really okay. Let's let's try to keep a chronology. But so when you say like in like in Bhutan, people m- mainly aim for like you know nine to five jobs. Is it so very uh, like? Because I don't know much about Bhutan, so I'll just ask. Uh, like what are the you know dreams or aspirations of young people in Bhutan or university students? Like, is it to work for the government? Is it to work for a private company? Uh, what what is it?
0: Okay. So uh from our pre primary education till our graduation, we are taught only to do job. We are only taught to do job for the government, for the corporation it they basically they they have prepared our mindset for nine to five job. So I think most of the young people they never thought you know they can do something, you know, apart from this particular nine to five job. So we were never we were never taught about entrepreneurship or we were never taught about, you know, you can do something out of your own passion. So for for instance myself when i was in uh, in school we we never had this we, we ne- i never heard about this term entrepreneurship and still now you know in, i still face difficulty in pronouncing and uh, uh, spelling that entrepreneurship i i attend for you know which one comes first u comes first or e comes first sometimes i make mistake in so so my main point that i'm trying to say here is entrepreneurship is very new term here and then most of the young people, they prefer working for government. First option is government. And second option is working in co- corporate. And if somehow, if you are not qualifying for both these two things, you, they would prefer for maybe some will prefer for uh, private, but mostly they want to they want to go outside, abroad. So even people, there are very limited people who think, you know, I will work for private company. <coughs> yeah
1: that's all okay and so when did you because okay so i guess yeah i i, I see yeah like so i can, i guess no one speaks about entrepreneurship or there might not be entrepreneurs who are like you know role models in the society so when did you start thinking did you start thinking about starting your own business after you discovered everything in Singapore, or did you already start thinking about it before that?
0: Well, uh, when I was when I had this job nine to five, so I always wanted to start my own business. So that time, since I was working somewhere else, so it was easier for me to you know explore for uh, information like you know what what are the procedure if I want to start business. So that time I found that uh to start a business it was a bit difficult you know you need to have a proper infrastructure you need to have proper team you need to have uh you need to have then uh to, then you need to have some money to get proper clear- clearances for businesses so <clears throat> when i was working and then i thought you know from the dry salary that i am getting i i felt i cannot really start business so i thought you know maybe maybe i should still focus on my uh, job and then, you know, make my interest this uh, freelancing as in my uh, side income for myself. So (laughs) when I had this job, I did try to start my own business, but it was really difficult for me to uh, start uh, because of limited uh, knowledge on the business first thing. I never had much knowledge on how to do a business. I was a technical guy. So, but yeah, but I... Was but I realized that I was not meant for nine to five job. You know, I always wanted to do something apart from that nine to five job.
1: Mm. But already doing freelancing, it was different from what other Bhutanese youth would do, right?
0: Yes. <coughs> and yeah, uh, we, we And then well, one interesting thing is, I didn't study anything much in the college. You know, we just went there for fun, and then we somehow got. By the three, by the completion of three years, we got our certificate. When I got into the job market, that was the uh, hard, bitter truth when it hit us. You know, our certificate didn't really matter in the market. They needed experience. They needed people with skills. So our certificate, it was just saying that you know we have completed our studies, but it was not really you know giving us a concrete support. And then I was. And then I had this opportunity, one week opportunity where I was given a chance to study how to develop website in one of the tech companies here. So they gave me one week time to study about web designing. And within one week, they taught me all the basics of web designing. After that, I took another one month online. You know, I studied all from YouTube on how to develop a website using a template. And that's how I started, you know, my uh, freelancing, my uh, passive income interest was drawn from all this learning from uh, learning a basic website designing, and then I, I I enjoyed doing some design work as well. So we did some social media marketing and all for some of the companies. So that's how you know I thought, you know, okay, I think you know I can really make more money than what my job is currently paying me. So that's how I started.
1: And so, well, what did you study at university?
0: Uh, I studied a computer application.
1: Okay. But what you really applied was during the one month and one week of learning, like when you learn by yourself, like most of the skill. Yeah. I mean, like, so yeah, are you saying that like most of the skill you gained was really from the one month and one week rather than the three years of university?
0: Yes. So, you know, our, our university, there was actually... It's not the fault of university, they gave, they taught us everything. But the thing is, we didn't really took that seriously. But I realized that, you know, it was really important when I got to the job market only. So, yeah, all these skills that I possess right now on the web designing and graphic designing is all through the YouTube. I've learned in that one in uh, one month time of that period.
1: Okay, okay. Well, it's, it's really cool. Uh... Okay, so then, so then you moved to Singapore, you started to do the freelancing. And how long did it take you to... to you, know, you discovered this space in Singapore. How long did, did, did it take you to say, okay, I, I'm quitting my job, I, I go back to Bhutan?
0: So uh, within the first three months, I found out this concept really interesting. And by the end of the third month, I, I requested and I quit my job and then I came back home. So it I you know it was since since it was my first time traveling overseas I felt like you know a thousand going from a town, uh, from a village to a town area so when I got to Singapore I took this opportunity to explore as much as I could you know I was hardly in the room so I was going around looking for things exploring for opportunities and yeah within third month of my stay in Singapore I found out this concept of co-working space and incubation from Singapore
1: How long did you stay in Singapore uh, in total? Three months. Okay. And actually, I want to... So you mentioned... So you said you grew up in a village?
0: Yeah, no. uh, Since, you know... uh, Since it was my first time traveling to overseas, first time taking a flight, so, you know, it it felt like, you know, a a thousand coming from a village and going to a city. So that's how I felt. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. Are you from Timpo, or are you from yeah. another city?
0: Yeah, I, I was born and brought up in Timpo capital only.
1: Okay, okay. Now because yeah, no, I agree. I mean, because Singapore is quite a <laughs> big, you know, and tall city. So it must. How was? I mean, do you remember your first day arriving in Singapore?
0: Yes. Uh, you know it, it was really interesting for me because i was traveling for first time and i and i was making my passport for the first time in my life you know just to travel to singapore and i studied most of the thing again on online you know how do i how do i you know check in using my passport and what should i do when i get to the airport and then yeah uh, for me coming from our our, our international airport in Paro, it was not really an issue because, though it is, a, because it was a small airport. When I got to Singapore, oh wow, did you know, that, that, that's where I thought you know I, I, might you know I might need to contact my employer immediately once I land over there because the airport was so huge. You know I didn't know really knew that how should I go out from now this point and from where should I collect my luggage. So I was, I was completely lost. I I was looking for the belt, you know, from which belt should I collect my uh, baggage and all. So I took another thirty minutes looking for the belt itself, and then, and then yeah, my, and then there were people who came for my reception at the airport, and even they 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 were a bit worried, you know, because I was not showing up on time because I was lost inside the airport. I was looking for my baggage. And then finally, I found, and I found, I, I somehow made my way throughout. And then they were again, you know, they, they wanted to tease me. My employer, they wanted to tease, tease me. And then they were hiding behind a one billboard because they knew uh, I'm I'm traveling for the first time, so they wanted they wanted to surprise me. So they were just hiding, and then then I felt, you know. I was really lost and I was worried at that time. You know, I was looking around, looking for people that, you know, I might know. So I was looking around and suddenly they show up from that uh, particular billboard. They were hiding behind that billboard and they surprised me. So yeah, that's how I got into Singapore.
1: (coughs) Did you, you, like, Was there any cultural shock, you know, during your stay in Singapore? Or what would you, like, because Singapore, well, Singapore, you know, is a fast. Fast city people are in a rush. people they work all the time. I mean yeah. from what i from my understand from of Singapore but like did did you manage to adapt well to the Singapore country city
0: well for first few days, it was difficult, but I was mentally prepared to face any kind of challenges, so adapting to their work culture was not really an issue for me. But uh, being a vegetarian and going to Singapore and not knowing about the food culture was a bit difficult for me that time. So, yeah, I was looking for, whenever I wanted to eat something, I was looking for some vegetarian food and I was looking for Indian food court every time. But when you are in the office, you cannot always look for Indian food court. So (laughs) food was a difficult thing for me when I was traveling to Singapore. And it's and it is always a problem when I tra- travel overseas with my uh, being vegetarian. Mm.
1: Yeah, you always need to look for the Indian restaurants. <laughs> yeah, somehow. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, I mean, so to come back on the coworking space and I hub. Um, so, so how did you feel? You know, during how to say. So you you, you discovered the co-working space and then you came back to Bhutan. How did you, were you sure that you, I mean, how did you feel? Were you like, did you, were you, did you have doubt or were you like super confident that you will make it work? Uh, Did you, (coughs) was there anyone to help you, to support you or you were learning from YouTube or from Google?
0: Well, uh, when I was in Singapore, I studied around like 138 website and I basically accompanies, you know, how a co-working space works and you know how a incubation is supposed to be managed. I learned everything from when I was down there in Singapore only. And then when I came back, uh whatever saving I had made from Singapore, I gave to my family seeing that that wasn't basically a assurance to them that you know, I will not use the money that I've earned. I'm going to start from zero. And so <clears throat> And then I went and talked to my five best friends that I have, and they are my support system. So I told them, you know, I got this idea. That's the very reason why I left the job and came back. And then they were saying, you know, how how am I supposed to make money from a co-working space? So they, before they, and then, yeah, they were basically trying to ask such questions so that to get clear image of what kind of business I'm trying to do. And somehow, Four of them were not really convinced. And still then, they, they, they said, you know, this these things will not work in Bhutan. You know, the sharing economy is quite new, so it will not work in Bhutan. And then they, still they said, you know, we will give you some money. So I got around like 26,000 Neutron. So it's like maybe a less than $300. $300. So okay. they my friend, they contributed. And then I said, you know, I'm I'm going to return this money within a year time. And then I went back home and I told my parents that you know just to give me one one year time. And then within one year I will show you and I will prove you that you know my business can really work. <coughs> and then they were they said okay one 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 year time. Even my friends they said okay one year is good good time for me to figure out. And then one year it just went by you know trying to get my business license. So we couldn't really get our business license. But still, what I did was, you know, I went around and I looked for a space. And luckily, I got in touch with one of my seniors. So he was he wanted to live abroad. And then he was trying to sell off his furniture. So I said, you know, I cannot pay you directly, but I know how to develop a website. Since you're traveling outside, I will develop some tour. Uh, travel agent website for you so that when you are working outside, you can still, you know, try to market your tour operator, tour agency in that particular country. And that's how we agreed. So he gave me around eight tables and 12 chairs. So that's how we started, you know, without, and then, and then from that five friend, two of them were jobless. So I have a working space. I have this concept of incubation. Now I needed someone to use my space. So what I did was I requested two of them, you know, if you start business from now, and then if you look, and I was just trying to give them scenario of if they're having a job and where they will be in future, and then giving them another scenario of starting your own business and being your own boss. And, you know, where you can see yourself in the future. So Somehow I was able to convince two of them. And then the one thing that really uh, helped me convince them was, you know, during that time I was, I applied for global entrepreneurship summit through U.S. embassy. And then somehow I got shortlisted and then I requested to the organizer if we could give more opportunity to some of the Bhutanese entrepreneurs in Bhutan. And then I, I told my friends, you know, not, and then they they agreed saying that they will give opportunity to many entrepreneurs to attend that summit and Then I went back to two of my friends and I told them you know not this particular business will not just give you money but you, it will give you opportunity to travel outside also so that's how I convinced them and then both of them they agreed and uh, and the both of them started a business, one is into sports event management, and the other one he started a logistic uh Business where he delivers LPG cooking gas door to door, and now he has ventured into food delivery also. So now these two, these two people now makes more money than what my business makes. So that's <laughs> how we start. Wow,
1: well, that's so cool! is the story of the first two entrepreneurs of iHub. Nice. Yeah. It, 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 you had to sell them the idea of becoming entrepreneurs tell them yeah. hey, you'll make money you'll travel you have a space this come <laughs> so
0: cool and, and then and then uh and then i started to study some more policy document and then some of the initiative that government were taking on so what i learned was government our ministry of labor they had a budget every year for people, for, especially for university graduates, to do internship. So government were paying for their internship. So I came to New a Debt program, and then I reached out to the ministry saying that, you know, if you could give that money to 10 entrepreneurs to be supported by IHUB, we will give you result by six months. So I was so ambitious that time, and then I said six months. And then they even because we were uh, basically complementing some of the initiative done by the government so they agreed and they said okay go, we will somehow we got lucky and they said they will support us and then we got that support and then <clears throat> i then the next problem was i just had two people with me now i need to look for another eight people to join me mm. so then then we used social media saying that okay we have such kind of uh, incubation and it's a co-working space services and we will be providing it for free and ministry of labor is going to support you and then i think yeah uh, and then somehow it was quite surprising and then around 20 people they applied for this particular program and then i was being really selective because i need to i need to show results by end of six months and then I was being really selective. Out of the twenty, I just took ten business, which I thought has the potential in the country and might have some potential, you know, to in in the neighboring countries. So that's how I selected. And then what happened was, uh, now, after our in two thousand and eighteen, we celebrated our first graduation ceremony. So out of ten business, I was able to. Push six or six businesses in the market, <clears throat> and then all these six businesses. Now we, but now we just have four, and these these four businesses have raised fund from various agencies. They have created employment opportunities, and now they before they just started with one table and chair. Now they own their own office spaces. So that's how we have done in the earlier days. I mean that's I, it's.
1: I think it, like what you say like it shows a lot of great lessons also you know for entrepreneurs like to you know do with the resources you have I really like you know when you say yeah I have no money for the chairs and table but I know how to make websites so I'll give him a website in exchange I'll just take his furniture and then you know you go around and tell people yeah 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 trust me in 6 months and then you just try to make it happen and and you make it happen um I think that's, but you were, I mean, you know, when you, 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 I mean, when you say all of that, it sounds like very easy or like very straightforward, but how did you yeah. feel back then? You know, you like your promised result in six months. How do you feel in your head?
0: Well, to be honest, you know, that time many people didn't really understand what is entrepreneurship. What is, you know, what, what it takes someone to start a business without money. So it was really difficult for me to, you know, really explain or I didn't really have people to talk to. So it was really difficult for me in the initial stage. But somehow I learned about the mentorship. And then I thought, okay, one good component that I can always adopt in my incubation is having industrial expert, people who are already there in the market, people who knows about this uh, the ecosystem. So I got in touch with uh, prominent businesses, and then I even got in touch with people in these uh, social entrepreneurs. So I requested them if they could, you know, be a pro bono mentor. And to my surprise, most of them said yes. And they, they said they were willing to give back to the community. They knew what it takes to, you know, to start your business. <clears throat> so, so with this support from this mentor, I was able to share my experience and how I was feeling and then they were able to you know relate my feelings and they were teaching us some basically they were teaching us how to you know face this stress and how to we mentally keep ourselves going even if there is a lot of problem in front of us so i i feel you know have, having got in touch with mentor made more things easier for me and then the second thing was uh, what we did was since I promised within six months I'm supposed to deliver a result so for for first two years 2017 and 2018 I didn't go home much we slept in the office we had one room we have this uh, a meeting room during daytime it's a meeting room uh, to us evening it converts to our bedroom where four four usually it's like six of us who sleep there so because some entrepreneurs, they came all the way from different district to the capital to do business. So they didn't really have much uh, place to stay in the capital and the rent were really high. So I said, you know, you can use this space, stay here. And then in the morning by nine, we should be ready and make everything clean and make it a office so that we can, so that there will be visitors. So having them, you know, having those people with a similar passion and similar interests, make things easier for us it was really and then and then and then the other part of this is the sustainability of an incubation so we were because i was i was a startup myself trying to help other startups so it was difficult for us to you know charge other startup at that period of time so before this ministry support came in we were basically trying and selling off some of the items that we had so I had five laptops, so I was selling one by one each month just to sustain ourselves and then and then yeah I from my young age, I always wanted to use Mac, and somehow, when I had opportunity to work in Singapore, I bought one Mac laptop, and then that was the painful thing you know, selling off that Mac just to sustain because rather than selling a Dell laptop it was better for me to sell a Mac and then make, and get more money. So it was really painful at that time, and we sold that one. And then from that moment, I think we didn't have to sell anything because you know, somehow, you know, the things really worked out. Uh, Ministry of Labour coming in and supporting us, 10 entrepreneurs. And after that, you know, uh, we had this uh, loden Foundation. They uh, They basically support social entrepreneurs they came in as a great saver for us. They, I think they never gave grant to any entrepreneur as of now. They they, they, they give uh, interest and collateral-free loan, but they have never given grant to anyone. So I was lucky enough to get that grant as well as loan. So one million neutron, and then that's how we have sustained so far.
1: Nice. Yeah. I, I, it's like the... I guess one milestone in I have history is when you sacrifice the MacBook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: that, that, that's my personal milestone.
1: Did you manage to buy it to buy a MacBook back later? Yes. Okay, so it came back. Um, yeah. I wanted to come back on a, I think, very important point that you mentioned, like when you spoke with the mentors who you know guided you on how to handle stress, pressure, and you know all the goals that you set for yourself. Like what were like the some of the things that you did to handle stress and pressure
0: well uh one one thing is like they i I never read books before, and then yeah my mentor they told me to read books, so whenever so one thing that you know whenever I have stress or whenever I feel there is a particular problem, I take on a book and then I try to read, no matter it's not related to my problem and that book doesn't have any relation, but just to you know, relax myself, I took took up uh, the habit of reading and now that's quite uh, something which is really helpful. And then the other thing is I, I requested and then I had two kind of a mentor, you know, uh, one who really understand you as a person, you know, who to whom I can really be vulnerable and, you know to share anything that i want and then the other one is one who understood my business so having th- those strategies really helped me to you know uh to to come across any kind of challenges and then the the advice uh, that they gave me about reading book and the, the first book that you read really matters so for me the first book that i read was measure what matters and that book I still carry that book and then I have read uh, more than three times. Because Now that book really helps me to, you know, set my goals each day, each quarter and annually. So, yeah, that's how I handled my, you know, all the challenges that I have by listening to my mentor and then whatever they said, I taken really seriously. And then, yeah, after listening to them and then implementing it really made sense for me. Did I did I answer
1: your question? No, no, per- yeah, perfect. Uh, it's it's yeah. I think see, see interesting how you. I mean, divided mentors like one for more like personal life and one for the business side. Um, I think it's important to understand what what can the mentors you know bring to you, um, and also I mean I I you know when I was from what I hear about iHub and when I hear speaking you know I. I I understood that iHub is you wanted to connect people together. I mean, everything that you put into iHub comes from what you have lived yourself, whether it's the loneliness of entrepreneurs, whether it's having a mentor, business mentor, but also more emotional mentor, Mm -hmm. setting goals. I feel like it's everything that you... Because many people, you know, when they think about co-working space, they just think of a space and people come and go. But you, it's it's a co-working space in the way I like to see co-working spaces, a uh, place where you come and then you're <clears> not <throat> alone anymore and you also get support. And it's what you mentioned by pre-incubation program. Yeah. Um, so I think, and anyway, I I think it's, it's good to understand, you know, the philosophy of IHUB through your own experience. I think it, 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 it yeah. makes it more relatable.
0: And then the one thing that, you know, in the due course of, the process of trying to make money and sustain ourselves. Like I said in my earlier time, I thought I can easily make money by selling space and providing the pre-incubation services. But it was difficult for us to, you know, to make money. But what I realized with due course of the time was we, we were not really after the money. We had a different calling at that point of time. My calling was to make an impact through the entrepreneurs. It was not to make money. So that 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 is one thing that I've learned. And and then I always tell my entrepreneurs that, you know, we are not here to make money. We are here to make some impact. And then the business that we do needs to have some values. And then that values should be derived from the gross national happiness, the pillars that our great uh, leaders have built for us. So we need to collect. And then we need to connect all these thing and then, you know, Our business is not just about making money. It is about making an impact. And having a business with values is what I was focusing on. So it took quite a time to, you know, really realize that, you know, I was not really after money. I was after making impact. And at the same time, and at the same time, yeah, sustaining ourselves was was one thing. But I realized that, you know, I was not really after money once I started my business. Before, I thought, yeah, I can make easy money by selling spaces.
1: But what you just said makes me think of one of the only thing I know about Bhutan, which is the happiness index, I think. Mm-hmm. Do, I mean, would you say that it... I don't know how to... to. I mean, do, do you think that the happiness index it, it influences a bit as well the... Your philosophy in setting up iHub or it's something that doesn't really affect your daily life?
0: Yeah, I, I feel understanding those philosophy of cross-national happiness and having this pillar, uh, having this clear vision of this cross-national happiness really makes an impact in each and every entrepreneur who is trying to start business in Bhutan. Now, if you if you, now they're, they're, because of the government initiative, there are lots of young people who are thinking entrepreneurship as a career option. So now all these people will always and will and will and have this uh the influence of this philosophy of cross national happ- happiness on them. And then I feel you know even they, even because of this particular uh, concept of happiness. Happiness, I feel our entrepreneurs they are mostly socially driven and then and then yeah profit is their uh, secondary at the moment
1: mm. no, it's interesting because you know we usually we i mean in general like we you now we separate entrepreneurship and social entrepreneurship, but I feel like from what you say and it's the same i mean sort of the same in Bhutan because it's Culturally, uh, I mean, when you, entrepreneurship has been promoted to be something that is impact driven in any case. So you don't need to distinguish between the two because it's a, somehow the same thing.
0: <clears throat> yeah, I think because of this concept of, uh, I think one, one is the influence of the concept of cross national happiness, and other is the, the teaching of Buddhism, which always tells, you know, to think of the other side first, you know, and then to think about, you know, the benefit that we will have. So I think this, uh, having this uh, Buddhism mindset and then the, the concept of professional happiness, these two kind of blend in, uh, <clears throat> blend in into our young entrepreneurs. And then, like you said, you know, we don't really have a differentiation between an entrepreneur and an
1: and a social entrepreneur. You mentioned that, like now these days, entrepreneurship is seen as a as a new career option from young people. And you, because you know, when you, you were in university, it was not an option that existed. So do, would you say, like, the now now that more young people, I mean. Young Bhutanese are more entrepreneurial, or are they like they are more entrepreneurs than before. I mean, did how did you see the, the change from when you started?
0: Yeah, no, I think uh, because of this, uh, there has been a great influence from His Majesty the King himself, and then then the government putting in lots of effort to promote self employment and entrepreneurship in the from the educa- from the grassroots from schools to college, then to uni- uh, university graduates. So. Before I think most people they didn't really thought that they could convert their passion into something worth living. You know, from their passion they could make money. Uh and now with this all this initiative, I, I now there's lots of people who now it's basically now it became like a trend. You know, people say now I'm an entrepreneur and I I, I want to do something like this. And I have this great solution built for this particular problem. So now university students are more open for such kind of uh, career option. So they think, you know, okay, working on their particular passion can be something that can, you know, generate revenue for themselves and can be a self-sustaining thing.
1: No, so, I say, I mean, so it's good for iHub. You will have uh, more entrepreneurs to mentor.
0: Yeah. But uh, the thing is, since um, I have been a private entity, we have been a bit uh, choosy on selecting the entrepreneurs. Because for me, anyone who graduates from IHUB needs to, you know, give some impact, social impact, at the same time, economical impact. So we are really careful in choosing entrepreneurs. So we – I still have those four entrepreneurs with me. So – we are not taking in like cohort or a batch wise. So what we do is if I see, I attend all kind of community event. And then when I see people pitching and if they, if they have brilliant idea, but they are not winning that particular competition, I go and reach out to them and say, you know, are you really serious? And do you really want to continue with that particular business? And then if they say yes, then we, them, we offer them a proper uh, working space free of cost at our, our workstation, and then we further groom their ideas.
1: How do you know when it's the right entrepreneur? I mean, when the, say, because, yeah, many entrepreneurs might have good ideas or maybe they're, like, super good in interviews, Mm -hmm. but, you know, when they come to implementation, you're just, like, it doesn't really meet your expectations. Like, how do
0: you... Okay. So, Select, you know, entrepreneurs. So for for me, we we have like only two parameters here. One is I check the background of that particular founder who is pitching, and I I try to understand what that particular founder he himself is, and then only we go to the the viability of the business. So before I approach that particular uh, founder. I will make sure that you know I have done enough homework about that particular person, and then only, then only we will approach them. Because as a founder, if if I'm if I we if we cannot coach him, then it is no use. No matter how good bis- he could business idea he has, uh, it's of no use. So we we look at such parameter. You know, when I do homework on founder, I will check whether that particular person is coachable or not whether that particular person is open for suggestions, whether that particular person is really serious about his idea. Because in Bhutan, what happens uh, is entrepreneurship is the last career option that we will have. If I don't get into government, corporation, private, then maybe I will do business. So I will always, you know, when I go and meet them, I always ask this question. If you are given money to start your business, And at the same time, if you are given a comfortable job from the corporate, which one would you choose? So that's my first basic question. And that answer really matters from, you know, if they say, you know, I'll go for cooperation, then I'm not going to talk to that particular person anymore. So yeah, those are some of the basic parameters that I put up when I talk to some of the young founders.
1: Yeah, it's really, yeah, I mean, it's like really investing your time and energy on the founder rather than just the idea, like really seeing, okay, can, will this person grow? Will this person take feedback? Is this person committed? Because if you give the space, everything, and this person gets a job offer after one week, you like, yeah. did, did it happen? Like, would you say sometime you, did it happened that you selected founders, but it didn't, they didn't happen to meet your expectations? Or oh, so far, so good.
0: Well, uh, what happened was from the 10 entrepreneurs that were supported by the Ministry of Labour, two of them, they, they, they had good ideas. <clears throat> but what happened was it, it is not that they were not coachable or they were not up to the parameter that I had. But what happened was the, the cultural and the societal mindset. Their parents didn't really allow them to start mm. their business. And then they landed up Going abroad and working. So, yeah, wow. We do have such stories like where we have thought they could do it, but you know, but it depends because they were not really able to go, go against or able to convince their uh, family about the idea that they had. So, yeah, we had two in the beginning.
1: Yeah, no, but definitely I think there's some, I mean, the, cultural aspect and the family aspect is really important. Uh, yeah. I mean I guess your way to convince your own parents was to tell them give me one year. Yeah. Um, but was it easy to convince them?
0: Well no. Well, one one So that's where I said you know whatever earning I had I have given to my my family and then and then one year time I didn't really make money. But they were able to see some, some impact, you know, through my social media. I was posting a lot. <laughs> and then uh, whatever whatever I see and whenever I meet new people, I learn something. So I make sure, you know, I posted everything on the social media. And then I was meeting uh, influential people in the community. I was meeting with the prime minister, meeting with the ministers, and then all the corporate heads. And I was basically trying to sell my idea. So and then whenever I meet with them, I make sure you know I take a picture with them and post it online, and then, and then yeah, that really helped me to grow my you know uh, the network. And then even my mother, she thought you know at least I'm doing something, so they she really <laughs> didn't have problem even after one year.
1: Okay, and and, and in 2018 you met the, your king, right? Yes,
0: I think. Wow. Uh, Yeah, so so yeah, I I, I don't know how it happened but somehow you know this I don't have a word to express how grateful I am to being able to summon by his majesty the king, their majesty basically. And then and then yeah, I think you know it is the work that I've done or maybe Maybe I, I don't have a particular thing you know, to express my feelings here. But I nearly missed that opportunity. I was there in Delhi undergoing training at that time. And and then I received a call from His Majesty's Secretary. And then they said, you know, we have been summoned by the king. And I was like, when when are we supposed to meet? Because I just had one day in Delhi and the next day I was flying back. They said it's on on next day and then it was really difficult for me you know directly to land and come to thimphu so so i was i was requesting them if they could you know push the time a little bit towards even and then they said you know no they cannot do it because yeah and i i understand it's a king you know we, we cannot and then i said you know i will and, and and i took a chance saying that okay i will make it anyhow and uh, yeah somehow we were supposed to meet at 2 uh and then it somehow got postponed for to 4 so I was, I was successfully able to make from you know from india to directly to to the palace at so that time yeah i actually you know it's beyond word that i could express that particular feeling that particular moment and this is my lifetime achievement you know, I don't think I will ever get such opportunity again in my life and after that uh i've been uh, I've been you know fortunate enough that again I was nominated by his majesty King's office and I got this opportunity to attend a leadership training in Bhutan it's an institute established by his majesty and 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 very few private people get opportunity to attend that particular training and I was the second one who got opportunity to attend that and and yeah, so you know this this is something that because of i have I got all this opportunity and and then I cannot I don't have particular word to express my gratefulness and my you know thankfulness for such opportunity and I, I'm basically a speechless. No,
1: it's so so beautiful. Like people cannot see, but you are smiling a lot. Yeah, like you cannot stop your smile. <laughs> so it's so so. No, but yeah, I mean, I I feel like in Bhutan, the king is really, I mean, he's like you know, I mean, I don't know how to say that, but he he's really loved. And also, your prime minister is a superstar. I watch his TEDx talk. He, he's so funny. Yeah. But I feel like you are really proud of his TED talk. I saw you you mentioned this TED talk in the article as well. Um, yes. uh, no, yeah, no. So I, it must be a real honor to 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 yeah. meet them, and you have the picture, yeah. so you can show to everyone now.
0: <laughs> yes, uh, now the, that particular uh, we, we the image uh, the, the photo that I have with his Maj- with their Majesty. It, it, it's my poster in every presentation I make anywhere, in Bhutan, in international platform. I make sure I have that particular thing because that's more than, you know, what I've ever thought of when, when I started my business. So that, that is one of the greatest achievements in my life. So I make sure, you know, I have this particular photo with me. And like you said, you know, our, our leaders, our king. Are being loved by people. It's not because it's not because uh, I got this opportunity to you know meet with their Majesty. I got opportunity to attend some leadership training. It's because our leader have always taught us and always showed us example of putting people in front and always thinking about people first. They always wanted you know their people to be happy. They always wanted us to be happy, and then. They never, you know, they, they they were selfless leader. So, yeah, that's that's the very reason why people have huge respect to our towards our kings. You know, without which I think you know, even even if I say uh, if if there was if there was no concept of gross national happiness, if I say if I'm from Bhutan, people might not know us where Bhutan is. But now, because of that cross-national happiness, whole world knows about Bhutan. And then, sub- subsequently, our prime minister, he made a great uh, former prime minister, he made a great speech uh, on the Bhutan being a carbon sink, and his yes. TED talk was so viral, and people knew about Bhutan. So you know, we we are really grateful to our leaders. And yeah, maybe when our maybe I will take this opportunity to think about thank our current government as well. Our current government, you know, with, with this such pandemic, they, they, they are doing a tremendous job. I think they, they are a medical doctor who then became a, a politician. And then with such pandemic coming through, I think we chose the right government in the right time. And they have always respected the views of His Majesty the King Though they are the political leader, they have respected the uh, view from His Majesty the King. They have always respected what their, you know, citizen has to say. And they have never done anything that I feel, is, you know, which is against the uh, will of our particular or individual citizen. So, you know, now I, through your podcast, I would like to thank our you know, government for taking care of us, especially during such pandemic and you know, keeping all of us so safe and and then they I and I know our Prime Minister, current Prime Minister, he haven't been to his home for I think more than now six months or so. He has been in working with the frontliner, sleeping in the office. So that's how our leader are showing examples to us. And as a young entrepreneur and and, and, and a community manager, I always, you know. Tell my uh, young younger friends to always look up to our leaders. They have never showed us some uh, anything like a bad example or anything. They have always forged a way ahead, and they have always been you know far sighted and future oriented. So we always have to now live up to their expectation. And and yeah, our His Majesty Fourth King and now Fifth King always emphasizes on youth. And I don't think any other country would have given such importance to youth. I think our country, I don't know about other, but, you know, in every national address, youth are always given the first and the topmost priority by our leaders. You know, they always wanted youth to do something, and they always wanted to create opportunities for youth. And then they have, you know, they have walked their talk. Now it is our turn. To grab such opportunities and then to do something which will really have a positive impact in the community in the country and as well as in the whole in near future yeah
1: uh, it's you know it's so refreshing to hear you speak about the king and the prime minister like this, you know because I mean you go to any other country, no one will say something like this these days. <laughs> So it's so refreshing to hear that, really, uh, and yeah, I mean, for me, I was really, I'm impressed by Bhutan because I really, f- yeah, you said like future-oriented, future-thinking. I really, yeah, I really think it's a right word because, you know, when I think about Bhutan being carbon-negative, when I think about Bhutan and the, you know, all the procedure for for tourists to come, I think it's really forward-looking because they just wanted to counter masterism. They wanted to be a carbon thing. I mean, so many things that are very, like, you know, big challenges these days. It feels like Bhutan thought about it already, like 30 years ago. Uh, and and did something. I mean, I think everyone thought about it 30 years ago, but Bhutan did something. As you said, they walked the talk. Uh, so it's and it's good to hear it from you. Uh, so, yeah, I hope they will listen <laughs>
0: Uh, as long as people who are taking our program and who are being part of iHub community, I think yeah, we, each and every one of us can really resonate with our leaders, and then yeah, we can we are really trying our best to live up to what our leaders have done for us.
1: Thank you for sharing all of that. Can I ask you how old are you now? Thirty. Thirty. Okay, so you started iHub at twenty seven. Twenty. 26. 26, okay. So so my question is, if you could meet the Tashi of 18 year old, uh, and you could tell him something, what would you tell him?
0: Oh, that, that, that's an interesting question. <clears throat> well, uh, I would, you know, maybe one thing going back is, I would encourage that Tashi to read reading reading was key and reading is a key so I would encourage him to read and then to always not to not to just think about what I cannot do or you know I will will tell him not always to look for things from a different perspective not just stop from one particular angle and stop Okay, you know I feel that there is no solution for that particular problem. I would tell that tashi to look from a different perspective on how can we really overcome or achieve that particular thing. Yeah, these are the two things I would always tell to that particular tashi.
1: <coughs> okay, cool. So, and related to the first thing, like so, you mentioned the that first book that you read. Uh, is there another book that particularly, you know, impacted you?
0: Uh, there's one book that was given by His Majesty the King to us uh what I wish I knew when I was twenty, so that particular book oh, <laughs> yeah, so you know im whenever I get opportunity to go and teach in some of the schools and universities, I make sure I read one of the chapters particular from that. I don't have particularly a favorite chapter, but I make sure I read one chapter and then I will take one exercise from that particular. Chapter and then I will implement with the students.
1: Is that a book written by the king?
0: No, no, it's given by the king, but it's written by Tina Siling.
1: Okay, all right, cool. No, I think yeah, you gave two very important advice. I mean, the one about trading. Yeah, I think. I mean, knowing how it helps you. I think yeah. I mean if. Known that earlier, uh it could have been helpful, and and yeah, like looking at the different angle, you know, it's do you, do you see the glass of water half full or half empty? It always matter of perspective. Um, yeah. No, that's great. I, I wanted to ask you a few questions about the future, like what I, I've seen that now you will try to, but. Like iHub's activities more online. I uh, was wondering future plans for iHub and what is yeah your vision for iHub in Bhutan.
0: Okay, so before going back to the vision, I would like to say that you know from 2019 we took one step back. We thought you know rather than directly going and encouraging youth to take up entrepreneurship. And to really understand why youth are not taking up, you know, entrepreneurship as their career option. So we wanted to understand that particular phase. And then we took one step back. And then we thought one reason is the policy was not really a a friendly policy. So we thought, you know, now it is really high time to have a policy dialogue with the government. So I made sure, you know, I hosted a smaller event. And for the first time, I think, a private entity like my my iHub, we hosted a national event, a national dialogue on you know, uh, where I was able to bring in five hundred plus people together, including politicians uh, uh, like development partners, private sectors, <coughs> students. I was able to all bring them all together in a in a room, and then we discussed about some of the issues that our current entrepreneurs have and you know what are the things that government and entrepreneurs can do together and then we somehow forced a way forward and then from that event we were able to somehow develop a entrepreneur ecosystem map whereby we can show which agency is doing what for for what kind of stage of our startup and then and then after that maybe Maybe it is from our event that you know our government started buying products from local entrepreneurs in their particular meetings, and and then and then they were basically trying to encourage. You know, they, they as a growing economy in Bhutan. I think our first uh, customer is government. So somehow government were supporting us through such uh, event, and as a vision. I don't really have my innovative vision right now, but it is a forward vision. So I, we wanted to develop a ecosystem whereby we have, we are encouraging innovative young, you know, we are encouraging young people to do something innovative and to allow them and and then then give the space to think something new, something out of the box, apart from the traditional way of thinking. So this is something that we are trying to work on and then, you know, give them the best working station that we can.
1: Cool. Um, No, thank you so much for sharing. And related to that, um, here comes my favorite question of (laughs) my podcast that I ask all the time, uh, which is how do you want people to know you for and to remember you for?
0: Well, I want maybe I okay maybe I want them them to know me as a community builder, as a connector, you know, helping them connect with one another. So even my iHub logo has a bridge over there, which which simply signifies that I wanted to be a bridge between government agency or a young startup or a customer and a, a seller and maybe between a young entrepreneur and a mentor. So we just basically wanted to be the bridge to help connect with one another. So I want people to know me as a bridge, as a connector.
1: Okay, so Tashi is a bridge. Yeah. <laughs> cool. No, no, I think, and and to add on that, uh, I think, I uh, think uh, it's a very, so, so to add on that, I, 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 I I've seen on Facebook and I know that the first time we met in Singapore at campus Party, you had your go the traditional yeah. uh, closing, so the similar as what the former prime minister had in his TED talk and I think this is a very powerful i mean I think you also want people to know that you are from Bhutan i mean i, I don't know if I mean if that's correct or not, but I feel like you you are proud to be from Bhutan and you know you want to show people that you are from Bhutan that people know what is Bhutan. Uh, so I think it, it's really nice that you also embody your country when you're abroad. I um, wanted to ask you, how would you describe... So I think you you said it a bit already, but how would you describe yourself in three hashtags?
0: Okay. My my favorite hashtag is, uh, is again, a borrowed one from Dexter. So it's give first. It's always the community that you know we i always wanted to put first so and always wanted to give preference or opportunity to our community first so i borrowed that concept of give first from texter that is one thing and then they, you so you want me to give three right yes so maybe one one is hashtag give first and another one is, like I said, you know, I wanted to be the bridge. So yes. hashtag, hashtag uh, connect and then the other one would be, uh, it's a quite interesting thing. So maybe other one would be like hashtag uh, give first connect. And yeah, the other one would be the social entrepreneur, hashtag social entrepreneur, Make, making and basically making an impact.
1: It's really cool. You know, uh, I, I I feel like we are similar in, in many points because mm-hmm. me too, I always, I mean, I, I really like speaking about GIF first. I also see myself as a connector. I also used to work in the co-working space, mm-hmm. uh, really with the same purpose. And so let me share with you another uh Hashtag so because me I didn't start any social enterprise so I cannot use social entrepreneur but I usually say that I'm a social gardener yeah. and well, let me explain it's very oh yeah, I find it very interesting um, so imagine so that's a story I, sh- I share all the time with people imagine like take two seeds uh, you will have one seed that will grow into a beautiful plant a beautiful mm. flower you know it would be shining very beautiful etc. And another plant will maybe will not really grow, it will decay, it will just die. Mm-hmm. And you know why? Because, you know, it's the same seeds, uh, but one plant got enough water, got a good soil, got enough sunlight. It grew into an enabling environment, while the other plant didn't get this enabling environment and just died. And for me, it's... You know, for me, it's similar for social entrepreneurs, for young leaders. Some entrepreneurs get just chance to meet mentors. Some Mm -hmm. entrepreneurs get the chance to find a nice co-working space. But some others, they don't know that these opportunities exist. So they quickly, you know, the business don't survive. And, you know, when I say social gardener, I see myself as someone who can provide water, sunlight to the seeds. Uh, okay. Provide this enabling environment, and yeah, I wanted to share that with you because I felt like you would you could, you would relate as well uh, because yeah. it's exactly what you are doing.
0: <laughs> I think I, I will I will copy your this hashtag concept with them because I will be talking to some of the young people by today evening. I think I, I'm going to start with that particular social gardener concept with them. Thank you oh, so yes, much. Take
1: it. Take it. Take it. <laughs> and. Um, and the last thing on that is also, you know, uh, I define myself as social gardener, but, you know, depending on who you are talking to, you might be the seed, uh, you know, uh, men- yeah. I might be the seed of mentors, but sometimes I'm the social gardener for other people. So it's, you know, you are you are both throughout your life. Um, so yeah, please, yes, share that to, <laughs> to people in Bhutan. <laughs> uh, cool. Um so, yeah, you know, I think we've been speaking for, I think, one hour and 20 minutes. Uh, so I just wanted to thank you so much. I think your story is really amazing. I can't wait to share with as many people as possible. It's really good to have the behind the scene of, you know, how does the correct pre-incubation start? I think it's really, really nice. And my final question for you is... How can people support you? How can people collaborate with you? And how can they contact you? Because I know you're always looking for different contacts, for different trainers to do online trainings for Bhutanese entrepreneurs. So yeah, how can people contact you and how can people support you?
0: Yeah, I think uh, maybe to connect with one another, I'm quite uh, active on all the social media platforms with uh, with name Tashi iHub. That, that becomes my social media handle and then yeah I think one area that I always believed is the concept of collaboration and that's the reason why why I have been always looking for various people because I because as a developing uh, nation and the de- the concept of incubation and the uh, entrepreneurship itself is quite new I always believed in learning from people who have already been there in the in the market and who really understand and who can really share us their insight. So, you know, one way is if you feel that you can contribute your knowledge and if you feel that you can make, uh, we can collaborate in some ways, please feel free to reach out to me on Instagram and LinkedIn and yeah, Facebook, of course. So uh, these three uh, social media, I'm quite active. Okay.
1: Okay, cool. So yeah, everyone, <laughs> If you have, if you think you have any skill that you'd like to share with young people in Bhutan, contact Tashi. If you also enjoy Tashi's story, please tell him. It's always good to see that uh, people like our stories. And, and, I mean, actually, I had a a real final question. (laughs) So about Bhutan, but what, what, what resources do you recommend to people who want to know more about Bhutan? So we mentioned the TED talk already. But is there anything else that you'd like to share to people who want to know more about Bhutan?
0: Oh okay, this is quite tricky one okay. <laughs> I think yeah when, when we when we type Bhutan, I think many things pops up, especially the tour operators website comes up. <laughs> uh, I think if you really want to know about and learn about Bhutan is maybe you could ah oh, I I haven't thought of this one, but you know maybe you could uh, you could look up for like blogs written by um, uh, by a Dr Karma Finso who is the president and the founder of Loden Foundation. So maybe if you could look up to his blog, you will really understand. You know he will he will make sure that he will give perspectives from history of Bhutan still the current uh, what Bhutan is so you will get to learn from his blog a lot
1: okay perfect so yeah I will put the link you can follow all the posts of Tashi on the social media also (laughs) (laughs) cool no thank you so much Uh, it was really a pleasure to have you Um, and yeah keep in touch Tashi Uh, and yeah thank you so much for the interview
0: And yeah, thank you so much for this opportunity. And, you know, after talking to you, I feel a bit relaxed and I feel that, you know, I I, talked over. In the beginning, I said I don't think I could share, but, you know, somehow you made this conversation so open, friendly, and you made me really comfortable. And then I was able to share more. So thank you so much for giving such opportunity to me.
1: Oh no, I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah, so for the story, before the interview started, Tashi said to me, I'm a man of few words. But actually, it went pretty well. (laughs) Thank you so much, Tashi. Congrats for listening until the end of this episode. Of course, to best support Lifeline, you can share this episode to two of your friends and subscribe to the next episodes on any platform. See you next time.